Well, this morning we are going to um, take a break from Ecclesiastes. Uh, we got about halfway through. Uh, the, the, the hope and prayer is that come February we'll take pick up that uh, series again. So about the middle of February, just, just so you kind of know where we're headed. Over the next two Sundays, this week and next week, we're going to look at um, eldership and why it matters. Okay, so eldership and why it matters, and that's kind of where we're at as a church, and so that's why we want to discuss this. I'll, I'll break that down a little more. And then uh, starting the last Sunday of November, I know it's not quite the Advent, but we're going to begin a series on the Incarnation, or you can say the Enfleshment, God becoming a man. And we want to prepare our hearts and our minds for um, the Christmas season. And then after Christmas, probably not the first uh, week in January, but uh, probably the second week, we're going to, um, as, as leaders, we're going to walk through uh, the five distinctives of, of our, our church family. So as we are um, a church that we're praying that God would build his community, um, a culture that um, from all nations that would um, see King Jesus and worship him as King Jesus. And, and how are we going to do that? How is that going to happen? Well, we see it happening in five, five ways or five distinctives. And so January and the first part of February, that's our plan to, to walk through those. But this morning is, um, is a focus on eldership and why it matters. Let me begin by praying. Lord, I, I thank you for the incredible privilege we have to, to be in this place. I thank you for providing community grace with a building where we can be warm and at the same time hear your word. I thank you that we live in a nation where we are have the freedom to proclaim your word. And um, I thank you, Lord, for those who gave their lives so that this could happen. Um, we praise you for that. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't take these freedoms for granted. And now, Lord, as we look at um, your, your word, your book, I pray that you would graciously be our teacher, that you'd speak to us as only you are capable of. In your name we pray. Amen. Eldership, and why does it matter? If you've been tracking with the church in, in the last little while, uh, we've been working towards organization. And uh, part of that organizational process is, is, um, is not only developing elders, but calling elders. So a few weeks ago, we, we had our, our membership Sunday. And on the 24th of November, before the service, we'll have a family meeting downstairs. Everybody's invited. 9.45, the coffee and donuts will be on. Uh, 10 o'clock, we'll, we'll dive into a few things, talk about eldership, talk about the new budget, etc. And then um, on the 8th, our hope and prayer is that we will actually approve um, three individuals, four individuals, if you include myself, um, for elders of the church. Now, we're a C2C church plant, and, and one of the practices as a C2C plant was to have external elders kind of give us leadership. And and God is gracious to give us some, some really godly individuals who who leaned in and, 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 and helped us in that way. But, but the, the goal all along was over time to replace those individuals 
with internal qualified biblical elders. And so to me, this is an exciting point and step in the, in, in the direction of life of the church. I know uh, many of you, if you haven't, um, probably received an email this week kind of just declaring where our church is at financially. Um, often what we as people do is we, we take a look and we see attendance like today or budget where things are at financially and we go, oh my goodness, uh, things aren't good. Now that might be true, but it may not be. Um, I think there's other measures that, that actually speak to the health of the church that are more important. And um, the fact that we're in a place where we can actually, we actually have qualified elders, uh, to me is an exciting step and a, and a next step and an important step of the church. Now when you read that email, if you didn't get that email, come and talk to me. The ones who wrote it aren't here. The ones who are I'm not going to say anything. Ones who are uh, looking at it as elders, you can just kind of take attendance for them today. Hopefully they're going to listen to this. But, um, but um, I lost my train of thought. But the ones who wrote the letter, feel free to talk to them about, about where we're at. And, and, but the biggest thing in that letter, it's not like the, the, the goal isn't to... Uh, to, to make people feel uh, beaten in any way, um, the goal is that we pray. Our, our church family is here because there's been outside support over the years, and internally our church has been growing in their giving. And that's another, to me, another great sign of health. And so I'm thankful for that. And so, but would you pray about the finances? And would you pray, as we get into this whole idea of eldership, that we would be wise in choosing the right leaders. David read two passages of Scripture, first from 1 Timothy and the second one from uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, I would like to read these two chapters next week again. Um, next week, though, I want to zoom in on 1 Peter 5. Today, I want to zoom in on 1, Peter chapter three, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Okay? But I'm going to give you a bit of a preamble um, before we get there, and let's begin in Acts chapter 14. The Apostle Paul was a church planting guru. He went from city to city to city, and he would, he would plant the gospel, and churches would sprout up. Now, sometimes we get this picture that uh, the Apostle Paul, everywhere he went, everything he touched turned to gold, the, the, the reality is in most places where he planted a church, he left behind a small house church, okay? Now, there were some exceptions. Ephesus is one of them. But um, in Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is with Barnabas. He's on his first missionary journey. The church in Antioch had sent them out to go and, and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And as they were heading back to their home church, we are told in verse 23 of Acts chapter 14, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, he doesn't say what an elder was. He's just simply saying this is what they did. It was their practice from city to city to, to not only start a church, but then eventually appoint elders to lead that church. In, first, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, we read something very similar. 
Paul, writing to Titus, says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So you get this picture that Paul says it's important to appoint elders in every church. An elder means more than one. At least two. Plural. But that's what they did. And it seems from Titus that that is something to do with putting the church in order. Let's go a little further. In 1 Timothy, when, when David read that, that the list of qualifications for an elder... Timothy is actually in the city of Ephesus. And so let's kind of do a history lesson on the church in Ephesus. The Apostle Paul, we read already, first missionary journey. He's traveling around. They, they go to city to city. They start churches, and then they appoint elders in each of those churches. He goes on a second missionary journey. And in that second, almost at the end of that second missionary journey, Acts chapter 19 we're told that Paul pops in on the city of Ephesus. Chapter 18, verse 19. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay uh, for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. So Paul, we're told, he leaves Corinth, and he goes to Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla, a couple that uh, followed Paul in a number of occasions and served with Paul in a number of occasions, were with them. Paul goes to the synagogue. That's his typical way of doing things. And in the Jewish synagogue, he persuades them, points them to Jesus and how Jesus is the Messiah. He does this consistently. That's his constant plan. That's how he starts in every city. In this case, we're told in verse 20, could they go on, could you stay a little bit longer? And the Apostle Paul was, was uh, intent on getting back to Antioch. And so he says, if the Lord wills, I will come back. Paul's third missionary journey. In Acts chapter 19, Paul does come back. And we're told he spends about three years in Ephesus. And in those three years, he's, he spends a great deal of time uh, persuading not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And we're told that, um, that the church had caused such a change, and that, that's why I believe the church had to be of, of a, a, a fair considerable size. It had actually impacted, the way the church was living was actually impacting the economy of the city. And so those who were making gods for the idols were actually losing money. So something significant was happening in that city. And in Acts, Acts chapter 19, a, a, a commotion breaks out and, and Paul finally leaves. And he carries on his third missionary journey. He goes to Macedonia, goes to Greece. And then we're told he makes his way back doesn't go to Ephesus, but he comes to Miletus. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. And I have this on the screen behind us, but look at, let's read some of this. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, and with tears, and with trials, 
that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me stop there. So Paul has spent three years in Ephesus. He leaves Ephesus and goes to a few other cities to spread the gospel. He then's on his way back to Jerusalem. He doesn't have time to stop in at Ephesus, but he wants to visit and talk with the elders of the church. So the elders of the church come down to Miletus, and they spend some time together. At the end of this chapter, it's actually beautiful. Just listen to listen to. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Uh, what was going on here was actually a beautiful picture of, of, of just brotherhood and love and, and great sorrow that they weren't going to see Paul because Paul was going to go to Jerusalem and everybody was saying that he was going to go there and he was going to be punished and he was going to be imprisoned. And, and Paul himself says, you won't see me again. There's great sorrow, great tears. These people loved one another. Paul had poured his life into these individuals. And from the passage we just read, Paul says, you know how I've lived among you. Humility, serving the Lord with tears. I was bold. I, I declared to you what I had to declare. Verse 24 of Acts 20. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Do you catch? Do you hear Paul's passion? My life doesn't matter. But the message I have matters. To testify to the gospel, the good news of the grace of God. And then in verse 25, And now behold, I know that none, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Do you catch it? Over and over he says, he, he, he says I displayed this character in front of you, and I continually testified and declared and proclaimed. He was all about speaking and preaching. The good news, the message of Jesus Christ. And now he looks at those elders around him that will never see his face again. And look what he says to him in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Let me read that again. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Paul says, I want you, to, to, I want you guys to be examining your lives and I want you to be caring for the flock. And he says something very strong. The, the Holy Spirit, God Himself, has made them overseers. Notice it, He starts with calling them elders. Now He calls them overseers. And then He paints this picture, this metaphor, of what they do, what their practice looks like. 
They are to care for a flock. The, the metaphor, the picture there is a picture of a shepherd and a sheep. The church is the sheep. And these elders are the shepherds or the pastors. And so we use those words interchangeably. Overseer, elder, and pastor, they're interchangeable words. You can call me Pastor Elroy or you can call me Elder Elroy. Or Overseer Elroy. I know it doesn't have the same ring to it, but that's, what, that's, what, that's, that's what's going on here. But even more important, he says, pay careful attention to care for the church of God, which he, God, obtained Christ obtained with his own blood. The work of the elders is to care for the people of God, the sheep of God, the lambs of God, and and, and to do so in such a way, understanding that, that they are the sheep of God and the lambs of God, and it costs God's Son his own blood to obtain them. Verse 29, Paul goes on. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He says, I'm going to leave, and I know that wolves are going to come in, and they're going to destroy the flock, destroy the church. I think Paul knew that because that's, that's 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 the way the devil works. God's in charge, God's in control, God uses those things, but he just knew that's the way it works. Verse 30, And then he says, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Did you hear that? These are the guys that he just, they're they're, they're a band of brothers. There's this incredible picture of incredible love. They're going to miss him. They're, 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 They're sorrowful that he's leaving. And he says, some of you are actually going to, to come up from within and you're going to begin to speak twisted things. How do you destroy the flock? Rather than declaring the gospel of Christ, you do, do you destroy the flock by declaring twisted things? He says, right from within, and, and not only just that they're going to declare and speak twisted things, but they're going to do that to draw away the disciples after them. What does God call elders and pastors or overseers? What does he call them to? Or what does he call all of us to? We're all called to simply say, there's Jesus. Follow him. And he says, right from within you, some are going to rise up and you're going to begin to speak twisted things that are going to tr- because you want to draw these disciples to yourself. So he says in verse 31, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the, and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Why does it matter to have elders? Because elders are called to do what? To declare, to testify, to proclaim, to do the hard work of caring for the flock through proclaiming the word of God because the word of God builds them up and gives them an inheritance. The most important thing I can do, whether it's over a cup of coffee or whether it's in the context of a a few of us in a small group or whether it's on a Sunday morning, is to declare to you the truth. 
the worst thing I could do for you is to begin to speak twisted things. And usually those twisted things have so much uh, 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 a hint of truth but there's just something not quite right. So Paul starts a church probably about 52 A.D. He comes back to the church in Ephesus in about 54, spends from 54 to 57 A.D., with the people there. He comes back to the seat of the elders about 57 A.D. He then heads to Jerusalem where he's, he's, he's imprisoned. He eventually gets to Rome, and then he writes the, the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus, probably about 62, about five years after this. And probably sometime not long after that, he writes the letter to Timothy. And why does he write a letter to Timothy? 1 Timothy chapter 1. As I urge you, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Why was Timothy in Ephesus? You remember those twisted things that some of them were going to rise up to do? It seems that that has happened now. And Timothy is sent in by the Apostle Paul or left behind by the Apostle Paul to speak to this and, 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 and to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Do you get Paul's emphasis? The heart of the church is our message about Jesus Christ. It's that message that will build us up. It's that message that will point us to an inheritance. Our guys were getting together, three of us, so we get together on Saturday mornings, um, and we're going through Revelation one chapter at a time. And it's been kind of fun. So yesterday we were in Revelation chapter 5, and I think it was Gord who said, um, boy, I needed this this morning. It's like, I forget, I lose focus that God's on the throne. I see everything down here and I forget that God's on the throne and this has been really powerful for me today. He says, I really needed this. And the truth is, we all do. We need to continually be brought back to the truth of God and be reminded of what God has said over and over and over and over and over again. And that's the work and the role of the elders. That's how the elders ultimately care for the flock. Now, included in that is prayer. Included in that is actually being engaged in your life so that they know how to pray and they know how, what, what pieces need to be added and taught. But that's the work of the elders. So it's in that context that Paul now begins to unpack some things and it's in that context that Paul writes 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now, don't be afraid that I'm finally getting to my text and we're almost done. But did you notice as David was reading this, these qualifications? If you go for a job interview somewhere, what are they looking for? Probably primarily skills. 
No, they want to know if you can work with the crew or the team or whatever. They want to know, they want to know some of those things, but can you do the job? Paul gives Timothy a set of qualifications, and the primary focus of his qualifications is, do you have the character to do the job? Well, there is a skill in there. Did you notice what the skill set is? Able to teach, which is all Paul is about. And now he's challenged the elders in Ephesus and challenged them not to do twisted and speak twisted things. But let's walk through it. The, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer. Now, now remember from Acts chapter 20, we notice that overseer is the same thing as a pastor. Overseer is the same thing as an elder. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, literally blameless. It does not mean sinless. If that was the case, nobody would be an elder. But it is like, is there any black marks, any big questions in their character? Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Yes, this means men. That's pretty strong. It's not because men are smarter or better or superior or are or, or, or better than. You've heard me say many times, and I'll say it again, my wife is smarter than I am, but we're equal at the foot of the cross. The Apostle Paul actually says, husbands of one wife, he's talking about men. He actually says it's stronger in chapter 2. Probably one of the most controversial passages in all of the New Testament, controversial in our culture, in our day. It's not controversial throughout history, but it is controversial in our passage. And Paul appeals to the way God created the heavens and the earth. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. But for whatever reason, he's, he's, he's called men to lead in the context of the church and in the context of the home. To lead is not to domineer. To lead is not to, to lord it over. To lead is to serve and to love. Like Christ loved the church. To lead is not to follow me if I'm speaking twisted things to you. If I'm speaking twisted things to you, you need to run from this place. But God calls them to be husbands of one wife. Some would say, well, that means they have to be married. I have a problem with that because if that's the case, then what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Paul? What do we do with Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where he says actually it's better not to marry? Some would say this, that means that the person can't be divorced. I think if someone is divorced, we've got to really actually take a deep look at why they were divorced, what was going on. The bottom line, the question here is husband of one wife, are they faithful to their wife? And why is that important? If they're married, are they faithful? And if they're not married, are they still faithful to the Lord? Why would God, why would Paul make that such a priority? Because isn't Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, faithful to the church, his bride? 
And, and, and how can we stand here and, and proclaim truth if our lives are speaking something completely opposite? And so the Apostle Paul says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, a faithful, a faithful husband, sober-minded. That means not given to, to alcohol or whatever. I guess you could actually throw weed in there today. Self-controlled, not given, not controlled by our desires, but controlling our desires. Respectable, literally uh, somebody you can look up to and, and go, you know, I, I can respect that person. Hospitable, open, welcome to, 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 to strangers and to all kinds of people. Hospitable, strong word, important word that we, I think we neglect in our day and age. Here's the skill, able to teach. Why is it important? Because, well, we'll get there, but we've gotten there and we'll go there again. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. We, we usually don't think of leaders as mean, needing to be gentle. This is really important. Now, they, they need to be bold because if there's fierce wolves coming in among us, then, then we need to be bold against the wolves, but we need to be gentle to the lambs and the sheep. Not quarrelsome. If you hung around the Senecas long enough, you know we like quarrels. This one's really speaks to Elroy. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 says, You know, I didn't covet your gold and silver. Uh, 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 an elder pastor should not be coveting what other people have. One of the greatest stories I remember as a kid was uh, Ben Hernandez, a, a, a missionary. Actually, he was from Honduras, and he was a missionary, I believe, to Nicaragua. And uh, he came in our home, spent a week with us, and he was, uh, the guy had nothing. And he was, he was staring at my, my mom's uh, uh, dining room. Uh, she had all the silverware in her dining cabinet. Is that what you call it, dining cabinets? Yeah, Okay. And so he was staring there and just looking at it, and, and my mom looked at him and goes, oh, I know I should get rid of it all and sell it and give it away. Eh? And, and he, he just paused, and he goes, no, God's blessed you. Be thankful for this. And I love that, I love that, uh, the, that, that, that uh, attitude he had. He wasn't coveting what my family had. He was grateful that God had blessed them. The leader of the church can't be a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. I think we learn a lot when we watch how, how others uh, lead their families. If they can't lead their family, how in the world are they going to lead in the context of the church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And, 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 and so in other words, he can't be a new Christian. There's got to be some maturity there. He's not speaking to age because later he's going to tell, tell, tell Timothy, uh, don't let them get after you because you're young. He's talking about maturity in the faith. And finally, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. It matters what my neighbors think of me. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and to the snare of the devil. 
So there you see the qualifications. Is the, there's a, it's ultimately character, but there is this element of this ability to teach. So why do elders matter? Why is it important for this church to have elders? Why are we walking down this road? Why are we pursuing this? Look at verse 14 of chapter 3. I hope to come to you soon, Paul says. I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Did you catch that? This is how we ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church, the congregation, or the people of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. He paints this picture that we, the church, we have the truth, namely Jesus Christ. And he goes on for chapter 4, Verse 11, he says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. There's that proclamation again. To exhortation and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And then verse 16. Keep telling Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we have godly biblical elders who are godly in character and persist in the truth? Verse 16, Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. It matters eternally. On November 24th, before the service, we will, we will gather as a church family and we will talk about the process of eldership. But again, I want to remind you that we have, we have brought three names forward. One is, one is Tom Cottrell. The other is Matthew Walton and Jay Hildebrand. And I also want to put my name forward. And it's, it's this church, it's the people of God, a community grace that we'll have to speak into and pray into and ask God, is the Spirit of God saying that these are the individuals that the Lord is calling, that the Lord is asking us to, 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 to submit to? Are these four men, myself included? 1 Timothy 3. Are we faithful in teaching the Word and understanding the Word? Do we know it all perfectly? No. We, we're still learning. We're still growing. We're still, but, but, but can we handle it? Are we not new converts? Our job as a church is to pray. Our job as a church is to consider these men. Our job as a church is to graciously ask questions and speak encouragement to these individuals and, and 
speak our concerns and our questions. And then our job again is to pray. And pray that it's the, the ones the Holy Spirit is commissioning that become the leaders of this church. Now, I believe in our context, in our church family, there are many who are quali- qualified that could, could step into this role. And pray that we'll have more as the years go on. But pray. This is a, an important part of the church. Why? Because our building up, our eternal inheritance is at stake. Let me pray. Lord, I love you. The truth is you love me more than I could ever love you. Thank you. And Lord, I I thank you for your word. Sometimes um, there are housekeeping things that that are found in it, and this, this is one of them. But a very important part of who we are as we take this next step as a church. I ask that you give us incredible wisdom to know who and and, and, and to ask good questions and to wrestle with these things and to pray much about this. And Lord, I pray that you would only allow those who should be in leadership to be in leadership. Not just now, Lord. But I pray that community grace would always be filled with leaders, filled with godly character and faithful to your word. Lord, I pray that you'd be gracious to us in that way. Father, I pray that uh, you'd give us wisdom as a church in this step. And now, Lord, uh, as we close the service, I I ask that we could gather around the table and just pause and and go, "Ah, this is why we gather. This is why we're family. This is why we want good leaders to lead us to remember what you've done for us. That may at the heart of who we are, may it always be your good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. May that be true of community grace today, tomorrow, and the day before you come back. In your name we pray. Amen. As is the case every week, we'd like to close around the table to pause and to remember what Christ has done for us, but also they think there's something powerful that, that, that the Lord speaks to us, not just through His Word, but when we break bread together. As we're reminded of the good news of the Gospel. And so if you're a follower of Christ, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if there's been a place and time in your life when you said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, would you, you're welcome to join us around the table. And as we partake in the, in the body and blood of Christ, may we truly remember.